Welcome back to the Redefining Anger podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Roy, a self-motivated force turned recovering perfectionist. After experiencing the traumatic and sudden loss of my father, turning to anger as a form of protection while living in a state of survival, and facing the wake-up call that I needed nearly two years later, I found community and began a journey of growth and deep internal healing. I'm on a mission to normalize feeling. I believe that getting quiet with yourself and really feeling what needs to be felt is the key to building a relationship of trust and self-respect with yourself. I created this space to vulnerably share my journey with you, how I'm learning to navigate life after loss, and how feeling alive and abundant is still possible. I believe in the power of sharing our stories, and my hope is that my story can empower you to navigate yours. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I have Diane Sorensen. Diane, owner of Diane Sorensen Coaching, LLC, is a connected relationships and parent coach. She is the creator of the Beautiful Behavior Podcast and Community. She has been in the field of early childhood education for 30 years and holds degrees in early education and behavioral science. In her time as a teacher, Diane implemented relationship-based practices in her classroom. Other teachers, administration, and parents took notice and could see, hear, and most importantly, feel the difference in the classroom. Diane then took on the role of behavior specialist, teaching other education staff these practices before turning full-time to coaching. Diane is currently a certified life coach and hypnotherapy practitioner, specializing in guiding others to create connected, meaningful relationships. Diane's first love of children and her own parenting experiences drives her passion for supporting parents. All of Diane's programs are designed to support you in walking over the bridge from chaos and drama to peace and empowerment. Her motto is break, cultivate, lead. In this episode, Diane shares her emotional growth story as it relates to generational patterns and trauma stemming from her childhood. Her children were the catalyst for her growth journey. She shares how she shifted her relationship with her children from being in a constant state of power struggles and control to allowing them to live their own life experience and feel empowered to do so. Diane dives into the topics of control, codependence, perfectionism, and behavior as it relates to all relationships in our lives, including the relationship we have with ourselves. Before we dive into today's episode, I've got something for you. Are you a female entrepreneur looking to grow your business while also maintaining your time and energy? I am a pitching professional that can help you do just that. My personalized approach is guaranteed to help you attract qualified clients that are aligned with your mission and values, build authentic relationships and connections in your business, and develop your authority as a thought leader and own your voice. Be seen. Expand your reach authentically. If you've been wanting to increase your visibility, don't wait. Reach out to me on Instagram at runningongrit. That's at running.on.grit or by email runningongrit at gmail.com without any periods runningongrit at gmail.com. And let's have a conversation. I want to help you grow your business. Not sure if pitching is aligned with your business model? Let's have a conversation anyway so we can determine that together. Let's co-create. Welcome to the podcast, Diane. I am so excited to have you here with us today. I wanted to just kind of let the listeners know how we know each other. Um, so Diane is a coach inside of um, the community that we are both a part of. We had the pleasure of meeting each other in the flesh a year ago. We were both at the leadership retreat in Tulum. So that was amazing. And um, I had the opportunity to work one-on-one with Diane 
a multiple, like a multitude of times, right? So we've worked together in group settings inside the community. And then I've worked with Diane one-on-one -on -one in her uh, parenting program that she offers, which she'll dive into a little bit here too. Um, and I've also had the opportunity to do some hypnosis with Diane. She was my first introductory to hypnotherapy um, and it was a beautiful journey and it still is. And, um, and Diane and I now, we work together a little bit. So we have come a long way and she's a dear friend of mine and I'm so excited to have this conversation with her. So without further ado, Diane, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell my listeners a little bit about who you are and let's, let's dive in. Yeah, thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for having me here. And yes, we are now doing some work together behind the scenes and I just couldn't be more happy to, you know, have you as a partner. So, um, so yeah, a little bit about me. I am currently a certified life coach, hypnotherapy practitioner, um, mother, grandmother, all the things. Um, I am uh, to give you a little bit better understanding. Um, I, I am a connected relationships and parenting coach. So, um, you know, I help, I help guide others to creating more connected, more meaningful relationships in their life, um, including the relationship that parents have with their children. Um, yeah. What else can I tell you? Oh, Diane, I, <laughs> I just already know so much about you and I'm ready to unpack so much. <laughs> but what I want to unpack first with you is I, I'd like for you to share a little bit more about relationships. So mm -hmm. you and I had a, had a kind of little sidebar conversation last week. And what I shared with you is prior to, to, you know, to entering into my own growth journey and personal development and all of that, the term relationship to me I really thought of as more of like an intimate relationship, right? With a partner or a significant other. But now I'm, I've learned so much that we have a relationship with everything in life. So with human beings, right? So like a parent and a child relationship. So us with our parents and then us with our children, for those of us who are parents, that is a relationship that we are cultivating all the time. Um, relationship with friends, relationship with our colleagues at work, and then relationship with things too, right? So like relationship with money, um, time and, and energy, all of that. So since yes. you are, you know, a connected relationships coach, can you share just that with us? Like relationships, what does it mean? And talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's exactly right, Kim. Um, life is all about relationships. We have relationships with many, many, many things. And we don't often think of it as a relationship, right? I think oftentimes when we talk about relationship, we go right to the romantic relationship, right? Um, but it's, you know, and I think oftentimes in parenting, we don't think of that necessarily as a relationship. It's kind of like we play roles right? My role is the parent to make all the rules and, you know, your role is to listen to them. Um, so, and that's kind of how traditional culture is and it puts us in these roles. So we often don't think about it as relationships, but um, when we can think about it in terms of relationship, that really helps us to, um, I think, have a little more, um, I don't know if I want to say control over how we show up in the relationship, not control of the other person and how they are showing up in the relationship. So essentially it empowers us um, when we can think of it as I'm in a relationship with all of these people and these things and how do I want to engage or not engage in these relationships. Yes. So yeah, relationship with people, romantic relationships, um, parent-child relationships, professional relationships, right? Working relationships, 
friendships, um, the relationship we have with our parents, all kinds of people relationships. But then, like you mentioned, also, what's the relationship we're having with our body? What's the relationship I'm having even with myself? You know, how do I talk to myself in my head? Um, you know, the relationship with food. You know, what's my relationship with food? Um, and I just talked on my podcast this week about my relationship with Diet Mountain Dew. Um, and so we can become victims in these relationships when we're not really conscious that we're in the relationship or that we're in a relationship where we have a say. Um, and not a say in overpower, you know, not having it be an overpowering relationship. So traditionally, we are in these um, roles that have uh, um, what do I want to say? A dis the power we, we they're not equal power, right. right? Like like the adult has more power over the child, and you know so forth. Um, which leaves one person in the relationship feeling powerless. Yes. And when we feel powerless, we defend. And that defense stance, and what I mean by defend is like, we'll blame what's happening on another person, right? We'll, we'll blame. Um, and when we're in that defense, that ends up fracturing our relationships. It's a barrier to more connected relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so when I started diving into your parenting program and um, I mean, this really, what I'm about to say really applies to like all areas here, but I think just to give a really solid example, um, from a parenting perspective, you hit the nail on the head where like traditional culture, you kind of have that, you know, the parent child relationship is the parent has more control, right? I'm the authority figure. I'm, you need to respect me. You need to look up to me. And then you mentioned in their control and how, you know, there's always like that element of control in a relationship where we try to control the other. And like in a parent child situation, that's so right, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we're always trying to control our child, like with everything that they do. Um, and you know, there is, I mean, gosh, there's so much, there's so, there's a whole other conversation we could have around that. Um, so not to digress too deep down the rabbit hole here, um, but going, just focusing on control for a second, when you said that it really, I applied it to my own personal experience. And I think for me, what I learned and, and, am you know, continuing to learn really, cause this is, this is an ongoing journey here is you can really only control yourself and how you show up. So rather than, again, going back to that parent-child example, than me trying to control my child, if I control how I'm showing up and my energy, there's a different element there. Um, and there's so much more, I think when we try, when we control ourselves and how we show up, ultimately we end up having more control. Um, whereas the other way around, if we try to control the other, I think what that does, and I'll let you really fill in the blanks here because you're the expert in this space, but what that does is you're avoiding looking at yourself. You're avoiding looking at how you're showing up in that relationship. And so I'm using the parent-child as an example, but again, that could be applied to anything, right? So going back to a non-human example, like with food, I think like you hit the nail on the head there with food to a lot of us, the relationship with food can be so sensitive, right? There's a lot of people that um, are prone to emotional eating. Um, and then, you know, they use food as a way to make themselves feel better when feelings and emotions are high. But when you look at that relationship, the food is kind of the one in control, right? Rather than you being in control of how you're showing up. So speak about, speak about that, Diana, a little bit about the control there in a relationship. Yeah. Oh gosh. We are addicted to control, right? <laughs> yes. 
control feels safe. Yeah, control feels safe. Um, so we are, yeah, so like you said, it, when we are, we think we have everything under control, right? And we really are out of control. And I say this from experience myself. I am here in this space doing what I do now because it is the thing that I needed to learn the most myself. You know, we teach what we need to learn. Um, and so I, you know, at one point in my life, I became aware that I was trying to control everything uh, in order to feel safe. But what I also came to was, oh my gosh, I'm completely out of control. Um, and my life started unraveling and was completely out of control. Uh, so when we can turn that spotlight from others to ourselves, so we Traditionally, we are, most of us are traditionally raised with traditional um, social model, and we are other focused. Traditionally, the focus is all about on the other, controlling what the other does, um, you know, not making anybody upset, uh, controlling other people's feelings, our children's feelings. Um, in all the while, we're really not uh, being aware to the, to the degree that we need the awareness on ourselves. So when we can shift from looking always at the other to turning that to the I and referencing the I, that's when we can start to have a healthy, connected, meaningful relationship with ourselves. And then that is when all of our relationships really start to bloom. And it's really the healing of codependence. And I know that is a big loaded word, um, but traditional culture is immersed in this codependence. And what I mean by that, again, is going back to, um, you know, we're peacekeepers, we're avoidant of any conflict, do not upset anybody. I mean, I was raised in a home where my mother was like, do not say or do anything that's gonna upset anyone in any shape or form. Um, you know, really, you know, so anyway, that's kind of codependence. It's you act in certain ways, so I feel okay. And then I am going to act in certain ways so as not to upset you, you know. And then nobody's really taking ownership of their own thoughts, their own feelings, and their own actions. And this is where we get into the blame. You know, we even blame our kids for not just the way we feel, but also for the way we act, right? You make me so mad. Oh, that makes me so sad. You know, so now they're in charge of how we feel, but then we also bring in, well, if you wouldn't do such and such, then I wouldn't have to yell, right? If you would clean your room, I wouldn't have to take your stuff away. Or, you know, so, you know, really we're putting the responsibility on our kids. Mm -hmm to, you know, which they just, they don't have the skill or, or, um, develop brains to be able to take all that on. So did I answer your question? Yes, you did. And oh my gosh, Diane, I feel like we could talk forever and ever and ever. There's so, there's so much, there's so much that I want to talk about. Um, you said the word codependence and, and that rings so true for me. So um, I actually did a podcast, I think it was actually my, my third podcast episode ever, and I spoke about my codependence with my father. And um, and and I really only realized this kind of recently, that 
I had such a codependence on him when he was alive and even um, beyond his grave, I was still hanging on to that. And it's like you said, um, you know, we traditional culture were taught to not upset anybody. So a lot of that, we don't want to upset our parents. So, and we, so we, not only do we become people pleasers in that relationship, but we just become people pleasers in life because that's what we grow up knowing. Um, right. The other thing I noticed about my codependence with my father, it was tied significantly to um, perfectionism. And I wanted to just do everything right. I wanted to make him proud and I wanted to just do everything the right way. And so I really couldn't even make a decision for myself without having my father in mind, right? So I couldn't, um, I need, it's almost like I needed his approval before making a decision. Well, would that make him proud? What would my dad do? What would he want out of this? And, um, and, and so, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, our traditional culture really, um, cultivates perfectionism. It's all about doing it the right way, being good all the time, right? Because from a very young age, we are judged on, are we being good or are we being bad? Um, are we right or are we wrong? We're deserving or we're undeserving. So right, good, and deserving all go in one column. And that is what we try to be like all the time. We never want to be bad. We never want to be wrong. We never want to be undeserving. And so we tend to, you know, develop these coping skills of trying to be perfect. Um, and we don't always recognize that either. Um, like some people might not um, resonate or think, well, I don't try to be perfect, but you know, it's this, if you are, you know, this worry about what are other people gonna think? You know, what are other people thinking? What are they gonna think? You know, am I good enough? Um, that is all about perfection. And I based like my whole life on what other people were thinking and then adjusting to what I thought, you know, they needed me to be in order to gain approval, like you said, and be accepted and to be liked. And what I've learned is that that is like, the most exhausting thing you can do. Like trying to control, going back to control, we're trying to control everybody else's thinking and how they are going to see me and giving them a very specific lens in which to see me. Now it's manipulating. It's manipulating because that is our coping strategy for being in fear of not being good enough, of being judged as wrong or bad or undeserving. And, you know, you brought up the right, you know, like I couldn't make a decision because I, I want to make sure I made the right one. We are very committed to that right, right? We want to be right. And I, you know, me too. I remember feeling like it's not about having the right answer. Well, I mean, part of it is about having the right answers, but it was more of a, if I make a mistake, if I say the wrong answer, if I don't have the right answer, if I make the wrong decision, then I'm wrong. Like my being is wrong in some way I'm bad mm -hmm. and not good enough. And so you will see, here in children, very young children will be like, um, look at me, look at me. You know, they want us to look at them and see what they're doing all the time, like see me. But as they grow into the, you know, after age 10 or so, 
after they get start getting into um you know school age that look at me look at me turns to is this right did i do it right oh look 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 is this right um and we have a real challenge with making choices and decisions because we're in so much fear and unconsciously so much fear of making the wrong one. It's it's like if I make the wrong choice, life is over. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, beautiful behavior, which is the name of my podcast for me is all about the willingness to be fully human, hmm. to allow for mistakes, because guess what? That is where growth takes place. When we make mistakes, we make, you know, a decision that was, that didn't take us in the direction we wanted to go. Great. Now I get to make a different decision. Let's see where this one takes me. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, You mentioned, okay, so you mentioned like, you know, when you get to that like school age, right, kind of is typically mm -hmm. when that shift happens. So at what point, and I, I don't want to digress too deep into this, but I think I just want, because like you said, you know, that kind of, that shift kind of happens subconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. So we go from, hey, look at me, I want all the attention, look at me, to now, oh, am I doing it right? I need to make sure I'm doing it right. And, and if not, then, you know, I'm, I'm wrong or there's something wrong with me. At what age would you say do we start to um, have that imprint, like where it kind of like builds into our subconscious? Because it's, it's yeah. such a seamless yeah. transition, but you're so right. It really does kind of happen. And I feel like that's ingrained in us at, at really young, a young, like really young age. Yeah. Right, right with that? Yeah, yeah. So from the ages of zero to 10, um, you know, we're just fully ourselves, fully, you know, just expressing everything about us. Um, and when we have experiences at that young age, our logical minds aren't developed to the point where we can really process these significant experiences. And so what happens is we make them mean something about us and we make assumptions about ourselves based on these, the meanings we make out of these experiences. And those get buried in our subconscious mind. And we go about life as if they're just the facts of life. And then we go on through life developing coping skills for these beliefs. Because here's the deal. If you, whatever you believe, you are going to find evidence for it. So if you believe I'm not enough, you are going to find evidence for that. Right. You know, if you believe you are enough, you're going to find evidence for that. Um, yeah. Does that answer your, your question? It does. Yeah. And, and like you said, um, it kind of, it, then it becomes just a part of who we are and it becomes a part of our being. Um, but what I'd like to highlight on is your personal story a little bit, Diane, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but I know that you grew up with that feeling of not enough. Um, oh, yeah. And so now, you know, you, you transitioned um, into becoming a life coach and doing what you do with serving others in this space. Um, and, and, and you're doing that as your mission, you created your, your beautiful behavior community. Um, and that really is your mission, your driving force. So what I would really like the message to be here is that it's never too late to, to change that, right? So it doesn't right. matter when in your life, if you feel the need to, to make a change with any of your relationships with yourself and your parenting, 
um, anything. It's just, it's never too late to change that and to grow from that. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, I'm just so glad you brought that up because it is never too late. It is never too late um, for us to create shifts in our personal lives, in our parenting. It doesn't matter if your kids are teens or if they're adults. You know, a lot of times they get to be adults and we go, well, you know, too late for me. Well, no, it isn't because you're still having a relationship. So, um, yes, I grew up with the belief I'm not enough. And I thought it was just me. Like, I'm the only one here who's not enough. Everybody else is. And they're just fine going about their life. And here I am, not enough. Um, and I based everything I did around what are other people going to think? You know, who do I have to be? And at some point, I created who I thought I needed to be and what I had access to. Um, so part of that story is I used my outward appearance as perfection to really mask the imperfection I was feeling on the inside, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I was getting gold stars for it every, you know, it was great. And then, although it was exhausting, um, you know, did get to a point where it was exhausting, but then I had children and it was like, what the hell happened here? You know, here my children come in with all of their imperfections, expressing themselves all over the place. And I, created in a different way. It looked somewhat different than, than my mo mother, but I basically um, continued the pattern of needing to look a certain way, be a certain way so that, you know, we're accepted and we're liked and that extends to our children. And what I thought was, oh, I'm going to have children. I'm going to be the greatest mother. I was an early childhood educator. You know, I, I just had this image of motherhood and the reality did not match it. And the train's going through. So you might hear the train. I'm imperfect. Always. <laughs> this is just messy life. Um, so unknowingly, I needed my children to be who I needed them to be, to be seen as a good mother, right? So that not enoughness I felt before I had children, like exploded a hundred times more when I had children. And I thought it was going to be the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, so as they got older, it took a lot, but I did finally recognize this isn't working. Um, you know, they're in a lot of pain. Their behavior was showing me they're in pain and I need to figure this out. And that's when I started going on this, what I call personal, um, uh, discovery journey. And what happened was I started learning about a more conscious, connected way to be in relationship. And I first came to it with conscious discipline and I um, implemented it into my classroom. And that's kind of where I practiced it. And in my personal life as well. And then that just opened up so much more with more thought leaders and um, other resources and coaching. And I eventually, you know, here I am uh, being a coach. And my mission is to bring awareness to these generational patterns and that you can shift them. You can shift them.
Um, yeah. And when we can reclaim our worthiness, our enoughness, that is freedom. And that's when we set our children free as well to be who they are innately meant to be or who they want to be, not who I need them to be. Diane, you are such a beautiful story of exactly what you were just saying, how it is never too late. Um, I watch you every day and, you know, I know we've had this conversation before and even um, Heather, who is our mutual, you know, coach, mentor in our community has said, has said this before about you. You just have that, how can I? um attitude about you and it, it doesn't matter where you are in your life you you see a vision for yourself and you go after it and um i just i just love that so much and I, i'm so honored to have you as my mentor in my life to learn from um you're just such an inspiration so thank you for sharing that i jotted a few things down here and i do have a couple of questions for you so you you made the comment um, that you saw that your children were in pain and their behavior is basically what clued you in to that. So let's talk about that. I want to talk a little bit about how behavior, especially in children, but really in us too, a behavior is a form of communication. Yeah. Right. So we yeah. always, we can look at our children as like, Oh, another tantrum, another tantrum. Um, but that's their way of communicating. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So what I meant by they're in pain. So their behavior was telling a different story than my perfect family performance. Um, because behind closed door, you know, I performed this perfect family thing um, for the public. Um, but behind closed doors, it wasn't that way. Um, and it was getting to the point where their behavior was getting so big that it wasn't, I wasn't able to contain it anymore. I wasn't able to control it anymore. And when I, so behavior is a language. And up until then, I, wasn't speaking the language. I didn't understand the language. Um, even though, you know, I was a teacher, but you know, they don't teach you that in school. It's, it's, you know, it's more how to get them to do whatever it is we want them to do, right? It's more about, um, even if we don't see it as control, it's, it really is about manipulating or controlling them to, uh, com to comply with what we want. And so I learned how to see behavior from a different perspective. And that shifted everything. So rather than seeing behavior, see, I, behavior, you know, traditionally is more about it's something to get rid of right? It's bad. It's, you know, those kids with behaviors. Well, we all have behavior. This is, you know, we all have behavior, whether it's pleasing behavior or kind behavior or mean behavior or whatever. It's behavior. Um, and so what I realized then, what I had learned was that their behavior was a call for help they were in pain. And when I say that, I mean, emotional pain. Mm. They were in emotional pain. And just like going back to um, that eating stuff, you know, how our relationship with food and we eat not necessarily because we're hungry for food, but we're really hungry for that emotional nurturing, yeah. that emotional support that so often in traditional, um, our traditional model doesn't exist. 
because, you know, how many of us were raised on, well, don't be so emotional, you know, um, and don't you talk to me like that, you know, don't you show me your anger, your sadness, we're very uncomfortable with emotions, with feelings, so um, I learned to recognize that, oh, I need to figure this out. I need to do this another way. And thank goodness there is another way. And it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, it is possible. And you've said it. Change is possible. You know, when I started working with you um, at the very beginning, and I and I heard exactly what you were just saying now. You know, looking at behavior from with it from a different like with a from a different perspective, with a different lens on, looking at it as a form of communication. And you know, when I take my daughter as an example, she's a toddler. So you know, those of us who are, have toddlers, and, and and most even if we're not a parent, we're familiar with toddlers. They they can have big emotions, and that's because they have not. Um, you know, grown to have that, um, the, inte the emotional intelligence really. And I, I'm, I'm here, I am, as I'm saying this, I'm kind of pausing because even as adults, a lot of us really have not learned how to have that emotional intelligence is a learned skill. And that's why it's so important for us to really cultivate that for our children now. Right. And I remember mm -hmm. when hearing that from you at the beginning of looking at behavior as, um, an opportunity for, um, uh, like to, to learn a skill, right? Mm -hmm. So like yeah. if my, if my daughter is like having a complete meltdown over something and I'm getting frustrated because I'm triggered now at that point, looking at her behavior as, okay, that's a form of communication and it's an opportunity to learn a new skill for her to develop that. So can you talk a little bit? Right. Yeah. That? So our kids are impulsive, right? And again, they've just experienced what is inside of them and it doesn't feel good and really what they haven't learned yet is how to suppress it like most all of us have learned to suppress it we're not managing our emotions because what happens when well this is called you know redefining anger what happens when we push that down and push that down and push that down right Yes. explodes. So I was the, you know, tried to be the nice mommy, the cool mom, you know, pushing all this stuff down. But ultimately, it, I, I, you know, when enough energy, enough emotion is built up, it can't go anywhere but explode. So I would explode. So then there was this eggshell-like environment in our home. You know, my children never knew which mom was going to show up. The one, you know, the nice mommy or the exploding mommy, which is very anxiety inducing. Mm. Um, and so I forgot where we, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. Cause my thought just went somewhere else too. Uh, talking um, about. Oh, uh, so suppressing. Yeah. Yes, this, yes. So they're dysregulated, but so are we, you know, we talk about, well, our kids, you know, they have a temper tantrum when things don't go their way. Okay, so why, when we talked earlier about shifting that focus towards us, what happens when things aren't going our way? What happens when our kids aren't doing what we want, right? We have a bigger tantrum than they do. I, I call those now my adult temper tantrums. I had many of them. Um, so we're not really regulating our emotions either. What we're teaching our kids to do is push it down, suppress it, put on a happy face, you know, perform the way I was taught to perform in life. Um, and the shift is really how do we regulate this? And it is emotional intelligence, really understanding what emotion is showing up how do I manage it? And I almost, um, I put air quotes around manage because I think 
that's just sometimes another way of saying suppress. Um, and that's not what I mean. I mean, connecting with it. So two things here, we cannot teach something we don't know ourselves, And sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So that's the first thing. Yep. And second, I'm going to forget what the second one was. Now. Um, yeah, I did. I forgot. Um, but, you know, I had two emotions before I did any of this work. Two emotions. Anger. I was angry or I was happy. That was it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely did not do sad. And here's the deal, though. I didn't feel those emotions. I acted them out. I, I mean, when I was angry, holy cow, everybody knew I was angry. When I was happy, oh, everybody knew that too. I was over the top happy then. Um, I didn't feel them. And the first, when I first started doing this work and I was asked, what do you feel? And then where in your body do you feel it? That language to me was completely foreign. What do you mean? Where do I feel it? Like, oh, I, I, you know, I guess in some ways I knew that emotions were inside of us maybe, but when I was actually asked that, it was like, oh, are they in me or are they out here? So it, and it was very interesting because as a teacher, I recognized that, okay, so we talk about feelings, we read about feelings, we label feelings, we look at pictures and say, what are they feeling? But the one thing we don't actually teach is how to feel them. How to feel them. Where in your body are they? What does it feel? Is it in your chest, your stomach, your, you know, where is it? Is your face getting hot? Is your stomach turning over? You know, and then connecting to them. And I think that was the second part of what I was going for earlier. That that's, we cannot manage our emotions unless we are able to feel them. Yeah. Yeah. So much yes to, to all of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. going back to when you were saying earlier, suppressing our feelings when we stuff those feelings down and like you said you can keep stuff and keep stuff and keep stuffing eventually you're going to be so chock full of emotions that you haven't felt in a given process that it's got to come out right and when you said that I immediately got a visual because I resonate with this so much because I'm the same way Diane before doing this work on myself it was exactly that I was angry or I was happy and that was it there was nothing in between and anger was definitely my go-to emotion for for everything else that's not happy. And when you were saying that suppress, 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 and eventually it's got to come out, I had that image of, you know, when you, you see this in like the cartoons, right? Where you have a little cartoon character and he turns really, really red and he just, and all of a sudden he's a steam that just blows out from the top of his head. And that's how it felt like for me, you know, when that anger would eventually just, it was like it had to come up. And that's exactly how it would present itself. And the same as what you were saying is I acted it out, you know. Um, but there's also so much shame with that too. And then now going through this journey of, oh, yeah, we actually have to feel our feelings and process them. And now it's just, it's opening up my my world to just a whole new perspective and it's so enlightening because I feel, I can actually say that now I feel empowered um, with my life and with my feelings. And I feel empowered to be able to guide my daughter so that she can also learn those emotional intelligence skills that we as adults really don't even have. Mm -hmm. um, and so the work that you do is just, I mean, it's it really is just so it's so priceless. And so where I want to take this conversation next, one thing that you talk a lot about, and we don't have to dive into so much detail, but I really want to highlight on this. One thing you talk about, and you mentioned it at the beginning of our conversation too, is how we can fall victim in our life, right? We can mm -hmm. fall, we can become a victim of our life. We can become a victim of inside of a relationship. 
Um, and so there's two ways to look at this. There's like the drama that we can kind of create, the drama and the chaos that we can create. And then there's also like the empowerment side of that, which is like the opposite of that drama that we create in our life, in our relationships, and you know, in, in whatever that is. And I know that your motto and what you do is to break, cultivate, and lead. And you mm. help guide people from that drama to that empowerment. So can you speak a little bit about what that is to, to break, cultivate, and lead and, and how you can kind of like um, bridge the gap between that drama and that empowerment? Yeah. So the roles, the triangles that you're talking about are um, the drama triangle and the empowerment dynamic. And those were created by, I'm going to get the name, forget the names out, David Emerald and Dr. Stephen Campman, I believe. Um, so, you know, you can always get the information on those. Um, so, yeah, I have implemented these into my life um and yeah so we can become the victim we can become a persecutor rescuer it's all an intent you know we're all we might be able to identify with one more than another but it, it, essentially we they're all kind of entangled um and then the opposite of them is the empowerment um dynamic. So the creator, the coach, the um, creator, the coach, the challenger, um, which are the opposite roles. And so break, cultivate, lead. Yes. Break is really, it's breaking generational patterns and um, outdated cultural beliefs. But the, but the thing we really need here, what's really key here is awareness. So it's radical self-awareness because we cannot shift, we cannot change anything that we're not willing to become aware of. And so with those triangles, it's not about, oh my gosh, I can't be the victim. I can't be, you know, the rescuer, the, the, the persecutor. It's really about just recognizing how they show up, where they show up in your life. Um, and then, yes, once you do that work, you can shift them and try on these other roles a little bit. Um, and the bridge to those and the bridge for so much of what we've been talking about is that emotional intelligence piece. And all of my programs are set up. They are created to walk, support and walk people over that bridge from that drama and that chaos to empowerment, from performing in our life to actually living our life and thriving and doing the things we actually want to be doing, which is part of getting to know ourselves. Because, you know, often that, that's a big, big question. What do you want? Oh, that's a really overwhelming question. So there's a lot of detangling there. But so, yeah, breaking those, cult those, those patterns um, and then cultivating deep, connected relationships, really meaningful relationships. Um, you know, we were talking about emotions and, you know, I have a deeply connected relationship with all of my emotions. Now I talk to them. I, you know, we, we create this life together. Um, and yeah, we lead, we lead our life, um, connecting with our own desires, our own, what our soul is really craving, which we get so disconnected from. We live in our head. So it's actually about um, embodying our body once again. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned talking to your feelings. It's so funny because I do that every day now. Um, every day I ask myself, how am I feeling? You know, what do I need? What do I need? Like, how do I want, how do I want to feel? And I 
never in a million years would have ever seen myself doing, you know, having that daily practice, but doing so has really shown me, um, well, it's allowed me to grow a deeper connection with myself and to get to know myself a little bit better. And, um, and just having more awareness around those feelings. So now when I do have that anger kind of show up, because it still shows up, um, I recognize it and I say, oh, okay, you're here for a reason and there's something else here that I need to look at. Um, and so it's like my teacher now, right? Yeah, and I, and, and I, I, find it, I find it fascinating too how we go, well, it still shows up. Like it's not supposed to, right? But it's part of our emotional guidance system, our inner guidance system. It's our inner GPS. And without it, we are, you know, getting lost. And so we just need to come back to it. And anger is not a bad thing. And it's funny because when I was teaching, um, I was teaching in an early childhood program, by the time children came to us at three years old, they had already got the message that anger was not a safe emotion. You know, they, you know, cause I was, that by then I was teaching this emotional intelligence and they had, didn't want anything to do with anger. You know, they just want to be happy because they knew that was the only acceptable um, emotion. So, you know, it took some, some work to really understand that these emotions are all there. And I think we think of anger as explosive because that's our relationship with it. We push it down until it explodes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. <laughs> I know there's so much here. We could just have, you know, we could keep going here for sure. Um, yeah, it's such a great conversation, Diane. I love all of it, everything we're talking about. And I'd love if you could, just to kind of conclude um, your thoughts here, share a little bit about, so going back to your your personal experience um, and your relationship, we'll say with your kids, right? Because I know we're talking about really like all relationships in general, but really I think um, the critical relationship for you that probably shifted the most is your relationship with your children. So can you share um, the shift that happened, your relationship with them now, post like, you know, going through this journey. And I know you're still going through it. I mean, this is a lifelong journey. Um, but to before, before you started, you know, kind of yeah, uh, yeah. You were introduced to this, what did you call it? The conscious discipline, right? Yeah. Yeah. In my self-discovery. Share about yeah, that so shift. And then you can, you know, you could even, if you wanted to, but I, I'd like for you to share for you personally, but if you also wanted to bring in a couple of examples from clients to, you know, without divulging what you can't, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to show how uh, empowering the work is um, and what a difference it can make. Yeah. So yes, my children were the catalyst for my growth. Um, they were what has brought me here. And the shift was from constant power struggles um, with them because I was trying to control them and they were pushing back. Um, And so it was a constant struggle over power again, because those roles were like, well, I'm supposed to have the more power. And then, you know, so our kids don't want our power. They just want their own. Um, so yeah, so it went from constant power struggles and me trying to control and lead their life instead of my own, um, in, in a way that I wanted it to look. And now it's completely different. And like you say, not, you know, we still have challenges always, we're always going to have challenges. And that's the thing. This work isn't about not ever having any challenges, not having conflict, because life, that is inevitable. Life, part of life is conflict and challenge. However, the difference now is they get to be who it is they wish to be. And I know why, and they're all adults now, and they have their own children. And I went from, you know, giving unsolicited advice 
about how they should be doing this. Um, to allowing them to have their own journey because this is their journey. It's imperfect. They are going to have ups and downs. They're gonna have pain um, and they get to learn from that pain. They get to have their challenges. They get to um, make mistakes and they get to shift and recalibrate and course correct towards what it is they most desire. And that is the biggest shift. Yeah, yeah. And everybody feels empowered. Right? Everybody feels empowered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a beautiful um, gathering at the holidays this last year. Um, and I just kind of stood back, stepped back and realized how different it feels in these relationships. Um, whereas, you know, in, in my past, you know, everything at the holidays had to look perfectly and everybody had to be playing their roles, right? Where here it was very imperfect. There was no judgment going on. There could have been drama, but I chose not to have, engage in drama. It's, you know, I, yeah, I'm not doing that. You know, well, you know, I'd have somebody, well, so-and-so's coming and they're going to be mad about that. And I'd say, okay, they can be. They can be angry. They get to have that. Um, and it just was really beautiful um, when we could just drop all the personas, drop all the judgment and just show up messy and imperfect. And letting go of that control. Yeah. Right? It felt so freeing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's the key. And that's why I said at the beginning, you know, when you let go of that control, you actually feel more in control because mm -hmm. it's so freeing and you, yeah, you just let go of the expectations and yeah, yeah, it's absolutely freeing. So that's so awesome. Diane, thank you so much for being here. And like I said, we could go on and on and on, but I would love for my listeners um, to know how they can get more of you. So I know you've got some things going on in your community right now. So share a little bit about that and tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, so I am um, inviting, extending an invitation for the general public to come into my community um, once a month to just interact, to engage, to have the experience of what beautiful behavior is all about and how we can implement it into our lives. Um, so it's a one hour lunch and learn. It's kicking off this, um, this month, April, on April 18th. Uh, at 11 o'clock Central, 12 o'clock Eastern. So take an early lunch, a late lunch, whatever it is. Um, yeah, and just come out and join us to see, you know, what it's all about. Ask questions. Um, and you might even be able to be coached on something that's going on in your life. So. Yes, and that's that's the fun part. I love that part about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just getting that live example, right? And I'm, I, I know this because I'm intimately involved, right, Diane? I've been working with right. you, like we said, behind the scenes on that. I'm very excited about these lunch and learns. Um, it's possible this episode won't go out before the 18th, but like you said, these are going to be on an ongoing right. basis occurring monthly, right? So yes. if people want to know when, um, do you have like um, like an opt-in where people can go on your website just to get on the schedule and what do you have going on there? Um, those are great questions, Kim. Uh, yeah, they, there is a link to get registered. Uh, so um, that is available. Actually, you could go on my Instagram page in my bio and it is available there. Um, and I think it's a great idea to have it on the website as well. Uh, but I will work on that. See, I, I just deliver, deliver the goods. I'm not the logistics person. 
And that's okay, Diane. Um, that's okay. But we'll have all the information in the show notes too. So anybody yes. who wants more of you, they'll be able to, to get access to your um, your website, your podcast, information on the Lunch and Learn. And then, and like you mentioned too, Instagram. So we'll have your Instagram handle um, in there and your and your Facebook as well. Yes, great. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for having me here. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. It was so great. I really thank you so much for being here, Diane. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for being here and for listening to another episode of Redefining Anger. If this resonated with you in any way, I would be so grateful if you would share this episode or the podcast with a friend, a family member, anyone that you believe may benefit from it also. If you want to stay connected, you can find me on Instagram at runningongrit at running.ongrit grit and follow along my journey. Do you have a story to share? A voice that's aching to be heard? Send me a DM and let's get a conversation going. My information can also be found in the show notes. I look forward to connecting with you.